This is not a political endorsement. It's simply looking into scripture. And what would Jesus say if he was alive today? If he had a moment with Joe Biden, what would Jesus say to him? Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. Good morning. Good to see you out. I really thought I was going to be preaching to an empty auditorium. Rumor had it that nobody was going to set their clocks back this year because they didn't want to give another hour to 2020. And I'm just grateful that you chose to uh, cooperate. That's a very good thing. Tonight, we'll be gathering back at 5 p.m. It'll be our first time since COVID to come back together on a Sunday night. It'll be at 5 p.m. For those of you who are worshiping with us online, we want to encourage you to participate as well. It's called Come Together, with us now being in three venues and about half of our church having to stay at home and still shelter at home. We don't get to always be together. So the first Sunday of every month, starting tonight, we will have Come Together Sunday Night Church, and we will celebrate each Sunday night we gather by taking the Lord's Supper. We used to do that on Sunday mornings, but we now, being split over three services, want to do that together as one family in this room, and so we will do that tonight at 5 p.m. If you're worshiping online and you can't make it to the campus, we would encourage you today to start preparing for tonight. Join us online by going to pcbc.tv, and you can click on Watch Live. Have your elements there, whatever you want to represent the body and the blood of Christ, and we will do that as the body of Christ together. Well, we're getting back to our series on what would Jesus say. I almost had to change my sermon late last night because I felt like I needed to have a Jesus conversation with some Big 12 refs after a debacle yesterday on the refing part, but I'll leave that for Jesus to fix the incompetencies of Big 12 refs. Instead, we're going to look at Joe Biden today. What would Jesus say to Joe Biden, our former vice president, who is running for the president of the United States, and we will make our choice if you haven't already registered your vote this next Tuesday. What we're doing in this uh, uh, sermon series is not trying to be political, but what we're trying to do is focus on people of influence in our culture, as Jesus did, and learn how to have conversations. Clearly, the politics of our day have polarized our nation to where we no longer, as people in a society, seem to be able to dialogue. We can't seem to be able to share differing opinions and even have a rational uh, just healthy conversation. So the purpose of this is not to validate a candidate or the other candidate. Well, as we've looked at other conversations in Scripture, Jesus always looked into the heart of a person. He always looked and knew their story. And, and as he understood their story, he would then relate truth into that story. And I hope to do the same thing today as we uh, move through this and teach us how we can have conversations with our friends, even with some who may not be our friends. And when things come up and we have conversations that we do it like Jesus does it. Well, let's look at Joe Biden's story. You may know some of it. You may not know all of it. He served as a United States senator for Delaware from 1973 to 2009. When he was elected in 1972, he became the sixth youngest senator in American history at the age of 29. He's run before for president unsuccessfully obviously in 1988 and in 2008 and 2020 is his third attempt at the presidency if elected in november biden now 77 years of age will be the oldest president ever inaugurated 
Now, if you go back in our history, anybody know who our ninth president was? Ninth president. William Harrison was the president. Uh, history teachers in the back might know that answer. Most of us don't even pay attention and don't know much about William Harrison. Here's what you need to know. At the time, he was, ele- he was the oldest ever inaugurated until Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan broke that record. Uh, this record will be broken either by Biden or Trump. Either one of them will break Ronald Reagan's record. But back in his day, he was the oldest ever elected. Here was a war hero elected by the Whigs on purpose because of his legendary status as a war hero on the plains of this great nation. He fought many Indian wars, including the War of Tippecanoe. You ever heard the War of Tippecanoe? William Harrison led the victory in that battle and was elected President of the United States. He was so excited to be President of the United States, he gave the longest inaugural address ever by any president, even Donald Trump. Longest ever. Happened to do it on a very cold, frigid, wet day. Got a cold, died of pneumonia, served only 30 days. He's also the shortest-lived president in United States history. We'll see what history bears in the days ahead. Biden spent his childhood in Scranton, Pennsylvania. His father would struggle with going from job to job and would squander the family finances and out of bankruptcy would eventually move into Delaware when Joey, they called him Joey when he was a kid, at the age of 10. Lived in a very small house. Uh, Matter of fact, his uncle had to live with him and his brothers in this three-bedroom house. And so they shared a bedroom with their uncle, Edward. He was known as Boo Boo. Uncle Boo Boo was not a cute, affectionate name. It came because his uncle had a stuttering problem. And it may be that growing up around Uncle Boo Boo maybe influenced a problem that Uh, Biden would have growing up also struggling with stuttering in his early years. When he was a junior and senior in high school, he was uh, at a Catholic prep school, was selected as class president, was a very successful wide receiver for the football team, very accomplished. He would go on, graduate uh, from law school on a spring break. He would meet his first wife, Nelia. They would get married. They would start to raise a family. They'd have three children. Their first son, Bo, was born in 1969. A year later, we had Hunter. And then a year later, we find they had a daughter named Naomi. 1972, they uh, were just going about their lives, raising this young family, and the Democrats came to him and asked him to run against an incumbent Republican senator named Cale Boggs. In 1972, he was elected the sixth youngest person ever to the Senate. Anybody know who the president was when Joe Biden came into politics? Not William Harrison. I think over at 8.30 somebody asked if it was George Washington. No, none of those. It was Richard Nixon was the president, and he began serving for 44 years in public service. His last office, as you know, was our vice president with President Barack Obama. He's had a very illustrious career in politics. That's all he's really known, his adult life is politics. But there are other things about his life. I think if Jesus was alive today, walking on this planet as he did 2,000 years ago, and could have a conversation with Joe Biden, I think he would say these things. Number one, I told you that the first two things are the same thing Jesus says to each and every person. Matter of fact, the things that we'll look at in any person's life, whether it's Biden, Trump, LeBron James, whoever it might be, those truths are not just for that person. His truth is for all people. The first truth would be this, Joe, I love you, period. Joe Biden would say, you love me? 
So are you a Democrat? No, it has nothing to do with the political platform. That's not an endorsement. He's simply saying, I love you, period. It isn't related to your works. It isn't related to your person. It isn't related to your platform. God's love was demonstrated on a cross. For God so loved the world. That includes Joe Biden. That includes Donald Trump. That includes you. And that includes me. But I want to take you to another verse that is convincing that we need to see related to how God would prove to Joe Biden he really does love him. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is a powerful, powerful chapter, and it goes into the love of God and how we can know the love of God. Now, remember, this was written to those who have trusted in the love of God. This truth that we're looking at is related to those who know the Lord. But in Romans 8 verse 35, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? As you look at the context, he's also going to declare what can separate us from the love of Christ. But look at what he says. Shall it be trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword? He goes on to talk about all other things, demonic spirits, anything present in this earth, anything in the spiritual realm. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can separate us from the love of Christ. And yet as you look at verse 35, one of the things the enemy loves to try to use to distance us from the love of Christ, look at it, troubles and hardships. God's word says even those things, even though we'll experience trouble and hardships, those cannot separate us from the love of Christ. And yet the enemy will try to twist those in your life to distance you from the love of Christ. Second thing that he would say to Joe Biden is, Joe, I have a plan for your life. Okay, okay, Jesus, does that mean I get to be the president of the United States? We saw last week, God's plan is bigger than anything that happens on this planet. That God's perspective is eternal. That God's plan for you is a future and a hope. God has a plan for Joe Biden. Joe has, uh, God has a plan for your life as well. And yet as we live our life, we in encounter different hardships, different struggles, different challenges, and it tempts us to fall into a trap, God must not have a plan for me. God must not love me. So I said earlier, as a child, Biden had a debilitating stutter. He grew up and uh, was mocked continually through his entire childhood. His classmates called him Dash. The reason they called him Dash is because his speaking was like Morris code, Dash, 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 Star, Dash, Star, so they called him Dash. Other cruel classmates called him bye-bye. Uh, I don't want to go into a political statement there, but they would call him bye-bye because when he would stand up to introduce himself in class, my name is Joe, B B B B B he couldn't spit it out, and so they called him bye-bye. He grew up with that cruelty. He grew up uh, always feeling inferior to his other classmates, and he struggled and worked very hard to overcome that debilitating circumstance. Wondering, I'm sure, many times as a young child, does God have a plan for somebody like me? It's interesting now, while he's known for his gaffes uh, and other things on the uh, trail, that he has done a very good job at most of the time overcoming that stuttering, but it certainly comes back to play even in his late years. Number three, that leads to this reality that I think Jesus would say to Joe Biden and everybody in this room. I think you'd sit down and say, Joe, 
When you're weak, I'll be your strength if you'll let me. When you're weak, I will be your strength. Joe Biden said, and I quote about his childhood, I can think of nothing else that has ever stripped me of my dignity as quickly and profoundly and thoroughly as when I stuttered in grade school. That was a crippling issue in his life. What's the crippling issue in your life? What is it when you look in the mirror that the enemy is constantly putting up in your face and saying, yeah, look at this weakness. Oh, yeah, look, you can't do this. You can't do that. You're not this. You're not that. Or somebody has spoken that into your life. We all have those challenges. He shared that when he was growing up, his mother would tell him, Joey, Joey, don't let this define you. Remember, you are who you are. You are defined by your courage and your loyalty. She tried to guide him each and every step of the way and keep him inspired. And yet Jesus would speak these things into our life. You are who I created you to be. Well, then why am I stuttering? Or why do I have this issue? Or why do I have this struggle? Exodus chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, but uh, you can put it in your notes. Moses comes to mind, doesn't it? Moses also, not elected by the people, elected by God. How would you like to have a one-vote election and God gets to pick? And he picks you. That'd be pretty impressive. That'd be a landslide win, wouldn't it? And he was the leader of God's people. God elected him to be their deliverer. And Moses had a conversation with the Lord about his plan for Moses' life. Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who made the human mouth? Who makes anyone unable to speak or deaf or able to see or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go. And I myself will be with your mouth. What was God saying? I know your weakness. I didn't pick you because you're Superman. I picked you to be my man. I picked you to trust me. And I will be with you. I will be with you in that point of weakness. Because where you're weak, that's where I'll be strong and I'll get the glory. Just trust me. Joe Biden would need to hear that. I would need to hear that. I've told you before, and some of you have endured the sermon illustration when I was ninth grade uh, National Honor Society, first time to ever speak in front of people ever, not knowing the Lord at that time, uh, but I had a fear of speaking in front of people, and I I botched the speech. Halfway through, I had a candle in my hand that burned my hand. It was such a long speech that I had to memorize. I was in fear, I was shaking, and all that candle wax dropped right in the middle of my hand. In that moment under a spotlight in front of my parents and half my town, and all these brainiacs in a room, I cussed out loud and blew out the candle. It was a bad, ugly moment. Spotlight was on me. I was numb. I I blanked out. I couldn't remember. And I walked off that stage, and I said, God, I'll never speak in front of people ever again. You ever gone there with God? You ever told God how it was going to be? You ever told God what your plans were or what he needed to do or what was going to happen? God always gets the last word, praise God. Psalm 28, Psalm 28 says this, verse 6, Blessed be the Lord, because he's heard the sound of my pleading. See, when you're in that place of weakness, as the psalmist was here, as Moses was in his weakness, instead of arguing with God, instead of griping at God, the psalmist said, I pled to God. In other words, we share our need, we share the hurt, we share the weakness. Look at what happens, look at what he says. Because he heard my pleading, the Lord is my strength 
and my shield. Your time of weakness, don't use that as an excuse to become a victim. Find victory. The only way you find victory is looking unto the Lord to be the strength in that time of weakness. And he will be your strength, the Bible says. He will be your shield, your protector. The enemy can't touch you. The enemy can't defeat you. Not because you're good in that area, not because you're strong in that area, but because you've surrendered it to God in your pleading, and he becomes your strength. The psalmist went on to say, For my heart trusts in him. I am helped, and therefore my heart triumphs. You see the victory? The victory didn't come from trying harder. The victory didn't come from being stronger. The victory comes by declaring, I am not strong, God. I am weak. Paul had to learn that through his thorn in the flesh. When he was trying to be strong for God and when he was trying to preach the gospel, there was a thorn in his flesh, something that was keeping him from being able, he thought, to carry out God's plan for his life. And God had to teach him, Paul, when you're weak, then I am strong. So Paul said, hey, I'm not banking on my strengths, my abilities, my talents. I'm banking on his. And therefore, I now boast in my weakness because when I am weak, then he is strong. Isaiah 40 verse 29 says this, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Maybe somebody needed to hear that this morning. Maybe you're tuning in online and God is wanting to be your victory today. Instead of being crippled by your weakness, instead of being crippled because you feel like you can't move on or you're just not good enough or you don't add up to somebody else, maybe you need to just cry out to the Lord and say, God, be my strength in this moment. And he will increase the power in you. The Apostle Paul, as we talked about, gave that same issue. Joe Biden would need that same strength throughout his life. Not just when he was a kid, as I noted earlier, but also as a young adult. He would graduate from law school. He would marry his sweetheart. And at age 29, everything seemed to be going swimmingly well. Three kids, a beautiful wife, a good career. Picked by the Democratic Party in your part of the world to represent them in the Senate. Only one of two people to represent your state. And you get picked at age 29. Man, he's living on top of the world. And after he was elected in November of 1972, just a few weeks later, his wife and his three children were out shopping for a Christmas tree. On the way home from that Christmas event, I'm sure they were singing Christmas carols in the car. I'm sure they were all excited about the new tree they just purchased. All that to end tragically as a tractor trailer would plow into their car, killing his wife, his daughter, and nearly crippling his two sons. At the age of 29, he lost his wife. He lost his baby girl. And everything seemed to be crumbling in. Biden, at that moment, a pivotal time in his life, was inconsolable. He said, I even considered suicide. He said, I began to understand how despair led people to just cash it in, how suicide wasn't just an option, but seemed like a rational option at the time. I felt God had played a horrible trick on me, and I was angry. He would talk about how in that moment, growing up in a Catholic home, he would abandon the faith and turn his back on God. It was a dark time in his life. He would meet another lady, his current wife, who you've seen on the news with him, his second wife. And God would use her as an instrument in his life to bring back some hope and bring back some encouragement and point him back to his Catholic faith. 
years later in 2015, his first child, his firstborn, his son, Bo Biden, decorated war veteran, a young man, a DA, a prosperous career, all of a sudden dies of brain cancer. Again, it would be very easy if you're a Joe Biden to say, God, why me? I mean, wasn't enough that I lost my wife and my daughter, and now i got to lose another child? Why? Why me? Why, Lord? I think if Jesus was sitting across the table having a cup of coffee with Joe Biden, here's what he'd say. He'd say, Joe, know this. Bad things happen to good people. There's some people who need to hear that this morning because Satan has corrupted your theology, the way you look at God and the way you understand him because every person in this room have bad things that happen in their life. Now, Scripture is very clear. Some of the reason this bad theology comes along is it tacks back to some correct theology. When we do bad things, Scripture says bad things will happen. If I step outside of God's design, if I live life how I want to live it, the Bible says you can reap according to your flesh, you do it, you make a bad choice, you make a bad call, you will have bad things happen. That's what sin does, it destroys. But not all bad things are because we've done bad things. Bad things also happen to good people. Let me prove it to you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. In Oklahoma, tornadoes hit the homes of righteous people and unrighteous people. Ice storms. See, there's some people that were practicing some bad theology this past week. Oh, why does my neighbor get power and we've been out for five days? Okay, God, I guess I did something wrong. Why are you punishing me? Had nothing to do with you. It had to do with trees falling on OG&E lines. Come on, people. Maybe you just happened to pick the wrong neighborhood at the wrong time in the wrong moment. Bad things will happen. And I'm not making light of those things. It gets real serious when you're talking about things like what Joe Biden has faced. It'd be very easy to adopt that bad theology. Well, I guess God's just so disappointed in me. It must be my voting record, my platform. I guess he's not a Democrat. Which, by the way, the Lord is a complete independent in this thing. John chapter 9, though, watch this. Look at this bad theology lived out even in the lives of the disciples. Even in the lives of the very disciples who sat at the feet of Jesus, they embraced this bad theology. Well, before we get to that, that's going to come in a minute, but look at John 16. I apologize, we were there. Verse 3. Look at, look at John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. I'm jumping around, my bad. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. So now they come along, Jesus leading his disciples. They find a man who'd been blind since birth. The disciples, trying to look very theologically astute, try to intellectualize the situation for him. Instead of being worried about the man's needs, they debate about why he had his problem. The disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned that this man would be blind? Was it the man? Was it the parents? Whose fault is it? In other words, the only reason bad things happen to people is because somebody's been bad. Now, as I said earlier, I've reaped some bad things because I did bad things. I reaped that. But I also have experienced bad things and, and, and seen bad things, and so have you. 
And it wasn't because you were bad, it's because you live on a bad planet, messed up by sin. Matter of fact, Jesus goes on to answer in verse 3, look at what he says. It was neither this man nor his parents, but it was that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus said, I'm going to demonstrate my power. And it's unfortunate that this young man was born blind, but it wasn't because he sinned. Obviously, he hadn't even been born yet. And it wasn't because of his parents. They just didn't date right. They compromised in their dating relationship, and so they were cursed with a blind baby. There are a lot of people walking around this planet that think that they are cursed because something bad has happened in their life. I want you to understand what Jesus said. Look at it, John. Everybody needs to turn this verse. John chapter 16 and verse 33. John 16, verse 33. Jesus speaking again, speaking into this very issue. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Again, I could see him quoting this again to Joe Biden saying, Joe, in me you can have peace. In this world, you're not going to have peace. Look at what he goes on to say. For in this world you will have, you better underline it. You will have what? Trouble. You will have trouble. Now, if you've spent too much time on TV evangelists, you'll never hear this verse. As a matter of fact, they would say to you, if you do everything right, and that includes giving to their ministry, everything will go right. You'll be blessed. You'll prosper a thousand, a hundredfold. All will be well with your soul. And there is a peace. Jesus promised it. All can be well with your soul, but that doesn't mean all is well with your world. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. You know why you have trouble? Because this world's in trouble. This world has been messed up by man's choice to invite sin into this physical world. And because sin lives here, sin produces death, destruction, turmoil, and chaos. And we live in a sin-torn world. And because we live where we live, Jesus said, you will have trouble. Bad things happen to good people. Don't let the enemy rob you of your peace. Don't let the enemy rob you of God's purpose. Don't let the enemy steal your joy. Do what the psalmist did. Cry out to God in your pain. Cry out to God and plead to him and let him be your strength when you are weak. Very quickly, we need to move along. The next thing I want you to see is this. Joe Biden, as he continued to serve, he, because of his legal background, would uh, spend much of his political career sitting in on the committee on the judiciary. Matter of fact, he would be the ranking member who would lead and preside over many of the Supreme Court justices that would be selected during his tenure. Other times when he was a minority leader, he would still be a place of prominence and has gone all the way back to the days of Richard Nixon selecting, I believe, or being a part of the selection process of every Supreme Court judge we have currently. I think that's true. I think one of the things that Jesus would say, knowing that Biden presided over two very contentious U.S. Supreme Court hearings. You remember the one on Robert Bork that went south? He was chairing the Judiciary Committee at that time. Remember the controversy of Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill? Biden was overseeing the selection of those Supreme Court justices. I think Jesus might say to Joe Biden, Joe, I've watched your career. I've seen you lead in selecting Supreme Court justices for the United States of America. But know this, Joe, I am the Supreme Judge. I am the Supreme Judge. I have the last rule and reign. I am the judge. 
You can write down these verses. We don't have enough time this morning to turn to all of them to get it all in. Acts chapter 10, verses 39 through 42. Paul was preaching to Cornelius and many in Caesarea. And he would preach how they had crucified Christ, how they'd hung him on a cross, how they'd buried in a tomb. But they all were witnesses that the tomb was now empty. And listen to what he said. This Jesus who rose from the dead ordered us to preach to the people and to testify solemnly this. That Jesus is the one who's been appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. When they preached back to the audiences of their days, it wasn't just a lovey, ooey, gooey Jesus. They reminded them, yes, he died for your sins, and yes, he is your only hope, and he is the Lord and Savior of the world. But know this, he is the judge of both the living and the dead. Uh-oh, here comes a Baptist preacher bringing hellfire and brimstone. No, I'm just bringing you the truth. It's what Scripture says. The full counsel of God. John chapter 5 verse 22 says, Not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. Early in my Christianity, I always saw God the Father being the judge. He was the old man. He was the one with the beard. He was the one sitting on the big high chair. And, and, and the good news was Jesus was my advocate. He was my defender. And we were in this holy courtroom. And man, I was guilty, but man, Jesus was going to get me off. That's how I was just kind of pictured the courtroom of God. Scripture here says, no, he's not only my defender, but he's also the judge of the living and the dead. All judgment has been given to the Son. Listen to this, Psalm 89, verse 14. Speaking of the throne where he judges from, says this, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of that throne. At that throne we find mercy and truth that goes before him. You see, the Bible says we will all appear before the judge of the living and the dead. Now, there's two courtrooms. And based on your heart, based on the reality of your life, you either go to courtroom A or courtroom B. In courtroom A, it's known as the white throne judgment. It's spoken of even in Acts. Mainly you read about it in Revelation, but Acts 17, verse 30. Listen to this. As they were preaching the gospel to the world at their time, they said, So having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now proclaiming to mankind that all people everywhere are to repent. Because he has set a day. Why, why do we need to repent of our sin? Why do we need to turn from going in our own sin, our own rebellion, away from God? Why do we need to turn? That's what repentance is. And why do we need to come back to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. God, I've sinned against you. You're the way, the truth, and life. I repent. I need you. Why? The Bible says this, because he has set a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, Jesus. There is a day where justice will be served. It's amazing to me how that's the popular political term of the day. We just want justice. We need social justice. We need justice in the streets. We need justice for this and justice for that. I want you to know there's a day coming justice will be served. For those who don't repent, for those who say, I don't need a Savior, I got a religion. I don't need a Savior, I'm just living it up. Whatever the excuse, those without repentance, courtroom A. As they appear in courtroom A, he will have to judge them on their life. And they will have to declare guilty before a holy God. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you. There's a day where he will judge the world. That speaks of those who have not repented. But for those who repent, courtroom B, for those who repent, 
they already have admitted their guilt. They already have had their payment paid for their sin. Jesus, the judge, is also the defender. The defender can step up and say, I paid the price for Bill Hulse's sin. I don't have to appear because I'm no longer in the world. I'm now in Christ. I'm a child of God. My sins have been paid for. But that doesn't mean I won't appear before the righteous judge. I will appear not for my salvation, but because I have been saved, there's a different courtroom. There is a place where believers appear before him. 2 Corinthians 5, you can write it down. You can go back and read it. and It says those of us who are in Christ will appear not at the white throne judgment, but it says the Bema seat. We've talked about this before. You may have studied it. The Bema seat was used here to be a picture, much like in the days when they would have the Olympian Games, the king overseeing the games. At the very end, the victors would be rewarded for how they did in the games. Courtroom A, I'm judged on the works of my life because I didn't repent. I spent eternity in hell because I have no payment for my sin. Courtroom B, those whose sins have already been paid for, those who are already forgiven, there's an accountability for the new life they had in Christ. Not for my salvation. It isn't a second, well, well, I missed that one, but hey, there's that last little judgment. Man, if you blew it, you lose your salvation. No. Why did anybody appear before a bema seat before their king? Because they had finished the race, because they were victorious, and they were rewarded for how they ran the race. Second Corinthians, it says, for believers, you may miss courtroom A, but don't forget, there is a day of responsibility and accountability where you will appear before him and he will reward you for what you did, good or bad, in the new life you had in Christ. If I did, if I did things trying to earn God's love, that's going to burn up. That doesn't get rewarded. If I failed to do what God called me to do, there's some accountability for that. But it isn't punishment in hell. It's just a sad moment of saying, God, I wasn't faithful. I wasn't obedient. And there will be a holy accountability. But know this, he is the judge of the living and the dead. There's one last thing. You've got to see it. Here's, here's the quote on the screen. We'll close with this. Joe Biden messed up the Declaration of Independence, and you probably have seen this over and over again. It's been a famous meme and gifts and all the other stuff. His gaffes. Here we go. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women are created by the, the uh, you, you know the, 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 the thing. Now, in context, I'm sure he was trying to say, you know what it says. But in context, let's go back to the context. All men and women are created by the what? Jesus would say, hey, Joe, I'm more than a thing. I am the creator. Let me show it to you very quickly in Scripture. Colossians 1.16. The Bible says, for by him, Jesus, all things were created. While we declare that in the Declaration of Independence, and we would say, all men and women are created by Almighty God, we understand from Scripture, he created all things. Things. Isn't that interesting? There's the word things. That can get you hung up in a speech. Both in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. All things have been created through him, but watch this, and for him. You were created not just to breathe oxygen, consume groceries, earn a living, 
and experience the bad things and the good things of this earth. No, you were created for him. I say it again in Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, Lord. Worthy are you, Lord, our creator. The one, watch this, stay with me. Worthy are you, Lord, our God, to receive glory, honor, and power for you. You're not just a thing. You're not just a big man upstairs. You created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. Those are some things that I think Jesus would share with Joe Biden based on his story. But you know, Joe Biden's story relates to everybody's story. It may be a little bit different. The chapters may be uniquely his. But God would speak those same things to you. Do you know the one who created all things? And do you know why God created you for all things? Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed. There's some people disappointed. Man, I really thought he was going to tear up old Joe Biden, get after him on some of his political platform. I don't see Jesus ever doing that in Scripture. I do see him speaking truth. I do see him speaking to the realities and the issues of life. I do see him not ignoring the bad choices a person makes, but offering that person a future and a hope. And God offers that to you as well. And he offers that to you who are viewing and worshiping online this morning. God has a plan for you. God loves you. But know this, God is also the supreme judge of the living and the dead. And that if you were to appear right now in his holy courtroom, if you were to take your last breath on this planet and appear before that judge, would you be in courtroom A or courtroom B? If it's courtroom A because you've never repented, you've never given life, your life to Christ, Today, I beg you on behalf of a loving God, surrender your life to him. You say, how do I do that? I didn't know how. I just knew I needed to do it. A preacher who was preaching to me, just like I'm preaching to you, led us through a sinner's prayer. And, and he, t- he helped us know how to call on the name of the Lord. If that's you, whether you're in this room or worshiping online, stop right now and just pray and confess. Repent. Turn from where you're going and turn to God. and Say, God, I turn back to you right now. Lord, I admit I've sinned. And God, today I turn from that sin and I turn to you for forgiveness. I open the door of my heart and I invite you in. The Bible says that if you would pray a prayer like that and call on his name, you are now saved. Maybe there's somebody else in the room. You called on the name of the Lord years ago. But maybe, maybe bad things have caused you to distance yourself from the love of God or question the love of God. Maybe today you need to call out to him and just say, Lord, be my strength while I'm weak. Forgive me for my doubt. Forgive me for distancing from you. Maybe you're in courtroom B and that scares you. And I don't know that I have much to lay down at the feet of Jesus. I accepted him. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. But but I've not been seeking first his kingdom. I've not been using my new life to glorify God in this earth. God, forgive me, and from this day forward, God, use me. Maybe that's your prayer. Maybe you need a church home. Let me pray for you. Father, be glorified in these moments. Lord, we give you everything. For you created all things on heaven and earth, and not just created them to exist, but you created them for you. God, may you restore all that now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. 
There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv slash podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.